Good morning. Uh, my name is Royce, or uh, Fantastic Ninja, as uh, Grant has been calling me. <laughs> uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Restored, if you haven't met me. All right. Um, so this morning, we're going to be continuing uh, our um, preaching through the Psalms. And I'm looking at Psalm 22 this morning. And I don't think 22 is not a famous one that most people are like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, this one. But it is actually a fairly famous psalm of David that gets quoted a lot in the New Testament. And you guys will probably recognize it because it's quoted by Jesus on the cross when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. It's uh, kind of a confusing uh, thing for Jesus to say on the cross. It's not something you would expect from God's son to say. Um, and it's, um, it's kind of a sad psalm. So it's going to be a little bit of talking about um, suffering and death and heaven. And um, I'm a little worried some of you guys are going to think, like, I really should have just slept in through this one. And I don't want to hear a sad uh, funeral psalm this morning. Um, but I think the reality is that all of us, um, whether we like think about it or not, are going to experience um, some amount of suffering and eventually death in our in our life, right? Like pretty much 100% of us are going to experience some of these things. And so um, I think that Jesus, uh, when he was on the when he's on the cross, um, this is basically David writing this psalm. And he is having a vision of what Jesus is experiencing. This is like the prayer life of Jesus on the cross as he's saying this. And so it's, it's a difficult psalm to read, but about halfway through, um, it, it, uh, God saves Jesus, which is essentially like the moment of the resurrection. And then it gets a lot more hopeful as Jesus praises God and gets excited about heaven and the life to come. So it's not... Uh, all, all sad news just kind of starts off that way, essentially. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to share this uh, story um, just as an illustration of how, like, surpri- how, like, sad things come out of nowhere sometimes or hard things or, like, least expecting some, for whatever reason. Um, uh, so my wife and I, we were um, taking Rowan to, like, a normal pediatrics um, a checkup. And we kind of mentioned the doctor, like, when we're watching TV, like, Rowan's been sitting really close to the television. He's, like, watching TV like this, and he can't, because he can't read the subtitles. And so they did, like, some eye tests on him. They're like, oh, yeah, he's myopic. He's, like, short-sighted or far-sighted. He can't see uh, up close very well. So he needed um, glasses. And we, so we took him to another doctor, and that doctor said, well, this is actually really concerning because his... They looked at his eyes, and they're like, his nerves and his eyes are swollen. They're, like, bigger than they're supposed to be. And it could be, like, there's a tumor back there that's causing this happening. And so we're freaking out. We're like, what in the world, you know? Um, and we're, we, they kind of uh, rush us in to see another doctor, two more doctors next week. We're kind of like, yeah, it looks like the nerves are swollen. We're not sure, like, what this means. Um, it, you know, and actually one of the doctors was like talking about cancer in front of Rowan and we're like, oh my gosh, like, are you serious right now? Like we would have liked to have t- t- you know, broke this news to him himself, if at all, or, or at least wait till we have like confirmation. Um, we're like, come on doc, like you need some more training in your bedside manner here. Um, and so we, we got referred to basically like the guy, there's this uh, a neuro 
ophthalmologist. He was like the only one in Southern California. We had to wait like three or four weeks for it. Our GC was praying for us, which is amazing. And he's, um, he's at Rady's. Um, and this whole time, though, we're just thinking like the worst. We're like, oh my gosh, he could have cancer. He could have this deteriorating condition where you go blind. And we're just imagining like taking care of uh, our son who's going blind and like, we're gonna have to stop working. We're gonna just go travel the world so he can see all these places before he loses his vision. And like all of our plans are just upset, you know, like out of nowhere, it felt like totally unplanned. And um, anyway, we get to see this guy and he, uh, the op ophthalmologist, and he looks uh, in Rowan's eyes and he's like, um, he's like, oh, it's just Drusen. It's, it's not a big deal. We're like, what? He's like, yeah. I bet you like $100, one of you guys has the same thing. It's like this genetic condition. We're like, oh, this is good news. So he like goes and looks in Allison's eye. He's like, yep, you have it too. He's like, it's not, the nerve's not even swollen. It's just that the blood vessel inside is small. It makes the nerve look relatively bigger, okay? Because they take like a proportion. And um, he looks in my eyes and he's like, you have it too. And he says, are you guys related? And it was just such a weird question to ask a married couple. I'm like, dude, no, we're not related. He's like, do you have like heritage in Northern Europe? Um, Allison's like, I definitely do. I'm like, I don't know. Um, so he's like, okay, so yeah, that's it. Like, you guys are good to go. And um, anyway, so it was like a, a huge relief, obviously. Uh, but it's just a reminder, like, man, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> and uh, this morning, I just kind of want to like, think through, like, how do we prepare uh, for hard times? Like, what do we do? Because when you get in the moment, you're just, like, acting instinctually, um, whatever you're depending on, whatever you're going to do to comfort yourself um, is instinctual. And I think that as we think about it beforehand, we can actually prepare um, by looking at the psalm. Like, what is what carries Jesus through the worst suffering ever experienced by man? So... Um, I wanted to share this quote um, by Bob Monkhouse. He says, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, not screaming and yelling like the passengers in his car. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of times it's the same way. We're like, I'm not going to die till I'm old. I'm going to die in my sleep. I don't need to worry about it. Or maybe um, you're kind of like King Louis VI. This guy, he outlawed the word death in his presence. Don't talk about it cover my ears, just keep swimming, you know, don't think about it. Or another, I think, representational person is Woody Allen famously said, I'm not, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> but unfortunately for Woody and everybody else, um, death isn't inevitable and ignoring it only makes it worse. Um, I think another thing that we try to do is we try to create this belief that we can control the circumstances of our death or, or not dying. And we imagine that if we stay fit, we drive safe, we, you know, maybe you're driving like a really safe car, uh, you eat salads and you use like the mineral sunscreen that doesn't give you cancer, then you're gonna live till you're at least 80, you're gonna be fine, okay? You're not gonna get sick, you're not gonna die. Um, but, and also, I've noticed that when a, a young, healthy person gets sick and, and dies unexpectedly, a lot of times we, like, become detectives to figure out what they did wrong that, that caused them to catch whatever it is that killed them and died. 
But the reality is that, unfortunately, sometimes random things happen to relatively healthy or, or good people. Um, even in, in San Diego, even in North Park, you know, I think we live in such an amazing place. We don't have a lot of like death and suffering and brokenness around us, maybe besides like homeless people. Um, and so we don't think of like bad things happening here. Um, but I want to share this story with you about this uh, flight that crashed in North Park in 1978. Um, are any of you guys familiar with this plane crash? Have you guys heard of it? Some of you? Yeah. Steve and Abigail know about this. Steve's a pilot. Um, he actually told me about this originally. So, because if you guys have been to where they used to live, uh, over by Nile and Dwight Street, um, that's actually where the crash happened. The Shamastians live over there. It's right by the 805, about a mile that way. And so what happened was there was a, a Boeing 727 that was coming in from LA to uh, San Diego. And it did not see this little Cessna that was underneath it. And it was coming in for a landing um, right above the Cessna. And it crashed into the Cessna in midair and it basically caught the Boeing's wing on fire in the sense that it, they could no longer control the plane. And the Cessna, the tail broke off, I think. And they both just ended up careening downward at 300 miles an hour, uncontrollably. Um, I think they, people think they were try, trying to head for the 805 to try to like minimize the, the damage. But they didn't make it. They crashed uh, right over there. Um, and there, it created a, a mushroom cloud explosion. Um, 135 people on the, the main Boeing died. Um, the two people in the Cessna died. And two, 22 houses uh, got demolished by this crash. Um, luckily, there was, I mean, only, but there was um, five uh, women on the ground that died and two little boys. And just like, what a random, like, sad tragedy. Uh, I think just reminded me, you never know, right? And I don't tell this story to like um, scare us or to like make you feel sad. Um, but I think that we should feel comforted to know that even though sad things do happen in, in this world, in this life, that um, the Bible and the Psalms specifically don't shy away from dealing with these issues. You know, it's not like the Bible pretends everything's happy. Like there's way more suffering and tragedy in the Bible than we experience in our life. And it's, I think there is a helpful guide when we um, go through hard times as well. And I think um, also that the Bible offers the best hope that we can um, have for enduring death or suffering. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we're going to read the psalm. Uh, Father, um, and I pray that people wouldn't feel um, like sad or scared, because ultimately you're in control and you're in the fire with us, um, but that you do allow suffering to happen, and it can feel random, it can feel disorienting, but I pray that we would believe you do have a plan for our lives and for our suffering and that um, you care and that ultimately someday you're going to fix um, this world and fix our lives and there will be no more suffering or death. And I pray that would give us hope this morning. Amen. All right, we're going to read Psalm 22. And so just kind of like in the first half, I want you to, to catch that um, Jesus is expressing his like anguish and the pain 
In the same time, he like vacillates between the pain and then remembering God's goodness and that God's with him, all right? So that's kind of how the first half goes. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy. So there's like this but in the suffering. Uh, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. And this, oh. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you or not disgraced. So I think this is a reference to their salvation from uh, Egyptian slavery. It's like God rescued them from slavery. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Uh, Just imagine Jesus thinking these things on the cross. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You've been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me, because disaster is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. It's like a crucifixion reference here. I can count all my bones. Um, scholars think because Jesus' skin was so tore up, he could like see his bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue me from the life of the sword. From the Rescue my life from the sword my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answered me. So this is like a turning point of Jesus, or God saving Jesus um, from death. Uh, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly who fear the Lord. Praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed one, of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. So this is like looking at the afterlife. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his own life. 
the descendant, their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. This is like looking forward to heaven. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. And so we see in the second half that Jesus gets saved, and he's praising God, he's telling everybody about it, and he's basically giving us some like insider look into what heaven's going to be like, which is so cool. And the first kind of big theme that I want to like take a look at here is how do we grieve um, but not lose hope? How do we grieve and not have despair? And there's a number of ways that um, Jesus is doing it here. He's, um, he's looking back at how God saved Israel and remembering how faithful God is. He's um, remembering how God's been walking with him uh, his whole life. And un- unlike us and our suffering, God completely forsaken Jesus on the cross because of our sin. But when we're suffering, God is always with us. He's also uh, looking to the joy set before him. And it's going to be that uh, joy and the future hope we're going to be focusing on this morning. Because the whole second half of the psalm is giving us um, some reasons to be hopeful. Um, in uh, John 3.16, kind of a famous verse, uh, the writer says this. He says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And this eternal life is mentioned 17 times in the Gospel of John. It's a big theme. It's one of the main reasons why Jesus came and died in our place on the cross. It wasn't just so that he could be with us until we die and then it's over. It was to have, be with us for all of eternity. It'd be kind of weird if you were um, long distance dating somebody and you were like, I actually don't ever want to like meet you in person and you know do that and get married. I like the distance thing. I like uh, Zoom and phone calls and letters. That's better. <laughs> um, as as good as a, a distance relationship might be, um, it's kind of like more closely, I think, to what we have with Jesus now. But in heaven, we're with, with him face to face. And so I think if, if you enjoy what we have with Jesus now, it's going to be so much better in heaven. We should be hopeful about that. And I want to point out, too, that um, I'm going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.13. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, those who have died, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So don't. So I just want to point out that um, we don't want to grieve with people who don't have hope. We also don't want to not grieve, okay? We don't want to just be like, well... Someday we'll be in heaven, so, you know, being tortured and whatever is, is just fine. Or my friend dying is just fine. It's like, no, death is awful. It was not God's plan. Suffering is not God's plan. And we need to actually slow down, talk about our grief, pray it as Jesus did, um, and, and sit in that. And um, also, Danny and, and Grant have both had great sermons on grief um, that you can check out, too. If, um, if you weren't there for those. I would recommend checking those out. Uh, also, another example, too, is uh, when Jesus, when his friend Lazarus dies, he, um, and he knows, I'm going to resurrect this guy in like 10 minutes, uh, he's not like, oh, this is not a big deal. No, he's like, he's mad, and he's weeping, and he cares. He's grieving that his friend died. So the sad thing is still sad, even though there was hope of a resurrection later on. So... 
Uh, I've been talking about uh, resurrection and heaven, and I think that sometimes uh, heaven gets kind of a, a bad rap. Um, heaven, talking about heaven maybe sounds even more boring than talking about death, um, potentially to some of you guys. And so I want to acknowledge that, and um, I want to share a quote from Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. Is, uh, he's quoting this English vicar as he was kind of interviewing people, like, what do you think about heaven? And the vicar said, was asked by his colleague, he said, what, what he expected after death? He replied, well, if it comes to that, I suppose I shall enter into eternal bliss. But I really wish you wouldn't bring up such depressing subjects. <laughs> I think we can kind of feel the same way. It's like, oh yeah, heaven's supposed to be eternal bliss, but it sounds really depressing to think about. And I think part of that is that our lives are pretty great right now. I mean, we're living in San Diego in 2023. It's beautiful here with the best weather, uh, the best beer. There's like 100 coffee shops per square mile here. It's like every day is a new coffee shop. And we're like, how many more coffee shops can we fit before they start not being busy? They're so busy. All Like, are people working? I guess they're working at the coffee shops now. Uh, we have beaches, the new Lafayette. Uh, it goes on and it's great. It's so great. Um, I got news for you. As great as San Diego is now, heaven is even better. That's good news. And I think it's become clear to me that we expect too much from our life now and far too little of our life in heaven. And because of that, heaven is not a hope for us. All our hope is in keeping the things we have now good. And when things threaten that, we despair. And um, as I was uh, practicing the sermon with uh, Grant, I, I mentioned the word hell, and afterwards he was like, dude, you have to like talk about hell a little bit if you're going to like say the word. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of triggering, the word, the word hell. So I'm going to just do like a brief um, kind of like, this is why hell should not make you not believe in heaven. Because I think there's kind of this... Um, reality that's like, oh, if I can believe in heaven, also I have to believe in that other place. I don't like the other place, so I'm just going to forget about the whole afterlife thing in general. <laughs> and I understand that. Um, so I'm going to say a couple of quick things about hell. Um, the first one is uh, the positive of hell, and actually I just thought of this, remember this this morning, is that um, part of hell is to bring justice to all the atrocities that have happened on earth that where not, there's no justice brought in their lifetime. Uh, there's no consequences for a lot of people that did a lot of awful stuff, you know? There's a lot of, like, American slave owners that had very successful lives and were never brought to justice for their crimes, or um, Nazi generals that escaped to Argentina, or Stalin killed millions of people but died happily in his bed. And so I, I think that we think a lot about, oh, about like the good people, good people who don't know Jesus. But also like there's a lot of people that would be like, oh, I'm glad you're getting justice. You know, like if you're watching Liam Neeson and Taken, like just beating up uh, like child trafficking people, and you're, you're not like, oh, it's so sad. You're like, yes, justice. So I think a lot of like judgment is going to be like, like that, honestly. Because they're just a reminder, it's like none of us are qualified to get into heaven on our own. It's like we're all just getting in because Jesus saved us and did all the good stuff in our place and he died for our sins on the cross. And that's true of everybody. Um, and the other thing that's really helpful uh, 
actually uh, Grant reminded me of this, is that in John 17, 3, Jesus says this. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. And so the reality is that eternal life cannot be separated from Jesus. We can't have um, a great time in heaven without really enjoying God. Like He is the source of all of everything good, both in this life and in the next. And so anybody that's not uh, wanting to be with Jesus now, they're definitely not going to want to be with Jesus in heaven face-to-face, uh, loving him, being loved by him, worshiping him, right? Does that make sense? Uh, C.S. Lewis is a big proponent of this, this view of, um, it's almost like a, kind of like a passive hell. It's kind of like God gives you what you want. Uh, he puts it this way. Uh, he says, I think we have a quote. Yeah. I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved, just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. Does that make sense? Um, I think a quick analogy, if you've ever seen Cameron Hort's favorite TV show, The Wire, there's this, um, this scene, I think they call it Hamsterdam, where they create this like, do whatever you want zone, where they're, they don't police drugs. And so the people have like complete freedom to just live however they like. But it very quickly becomes essentially a hell on earth with people um, very irresponsibly doing drugs, overdosing, uh, there's lots of violence. It becomes a very sad situation. And so it's maybe kind of like a depiction of um, people getting what they want and not, and not going well. And so I think also uh, one other C.S. Lewis quote is that it's kind of an objection to like, well, what's God doing about this problem? C.S. Lewis says this. He says, in the long run, the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? This is a question to you. To wipe out their past sins at all costs? To give them a fresh start? Smoothing over every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he has done so on Calvary. To forgive them? They will not be forgiven. To leave them alone? Alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. So I think when we consider this view of hell, we need at least understand how complicated it is to fix all the problems in the world, which is essentially what heaven is. And I think it um, makes sense as kind of like a fair, very fair view of heaven. I'm down to talk more <clears throat> about this or anything else as well that I'm just kind of touching on in the sermon. All right, so back to the good news. Like I was saying, heaven is better than we know. It's Better, yeah, better than we know. Um, as probably most of you guys know, um, Pastor Tim Keller passed away um, semi-recently. And the day after his son, or sorry, the day after he passed away, his son posted this on his, uh, his Twitter. He says this, he says, Dad waited until he was alone with Mom. She kissed him on the forehead, and he breathed his last breath. The tweet read, we take comfort in some of his last words. There is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Oh, that was so beautiful. And we say we see the same sentiment from many people in the Bible. They're like, I'm ready to go. Like, 
heaven is going to be so much greater. I'm ready to be with Jesus. Now, what made um, heaven more attractive to Kim, Tim Keller than New York City, which is one of the greatest cities in the world? Well, Randy Alcorn has a great book on heaven. If you're interested in like getting all of the details about heaven, it's pretty long, but half it's like an FAQ that's really helpful, to be honest, the whole second half. So check out the book. It's just called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. And in it, um, he gives kind of like a, a timeline, essentially, of heaven, because um, as you know, like, may or may not know, heaven kind of is like two phases, kind of like if you're doing a trip and you're having a layover somewhere, and then you have a final destination, right? So what we call heaven is kind of like the layover, uh, which is like great, but you know, vacation, you're like trying to get to where you're, you're going, which is even better. And so the layover is going to be in essentially like God's kingdom, um, uh, in God's kingdom, which is going to be great uh, with him. It's also probably like a physical place, okay? So it's not like you're up in the clouds, you're, uh, you have wings and a harp, and you're just like bored out of your mind. No, it's going to be like a, just like a beautiful city. You're like, this is awesome. Um, and also, the people in heaven are essentially like watching what's happening on earth, and we're just like waiting if we die before Jesus comes back. We're like waiting for Jesus to come back and fix everything. We're going to be like, can we go now? Can we go now? Like, look at what's happening. We don't like this. Like, can you go back now? <laughs> um, and then eventually, when the time's right, um, God is going to send Jesus back, and he is going to uh, bring us with him and put us back into our bodies, upgraded bodies. It'd be way better. You, but you're perf- perfect you, okay? Like if you'd been working out all year with Justin Timko, and you're just like, <laughs> I don't know, six-pack, and you can run four-minute miles. Uh, and the earth is going to be renewed, and heaven is literally going to, like, descend on onto earth. Like the heavenly city is going to, like, land and it's going to be uh, there. People think like the Garden of Eden is going to be kind of like a beautiful central park in the city, and the world as we know it is going to be renewed. So it is a, a physical world with all the great stuff and uh, that we like, including like our physical bodies <laughs> and physical things we enjoy. And so that's kind of like a quick timeline, um, and heaven is going to be, like I was saying, a renewed earth. So Here's kind of a few things that I got me excited as I was reading about this. Um, there'll be no more um, worrying about like having a house or money. It's Jesus like going to like get us a house and we have rewards. So we'll have uh, enough money that we're ever going more than we're ever going to need. So that's good news. There'll be uh, no social media to slowly depress you or anything like that. Yeah, I know. I'm just kidding. Who knows? Maybe it's like a positive form of social media for you. And use your imagination. Um, you will never be worried. Um, uh, sorry, there will never be any like government corruption or fighting because uh, King Jesus is going to be the one who's going to rule everything, and we're actually need to rule with him. And he's going to be a king that perfectly loves and serves and has perfect wisdom. So that's exciting. Uh, we'll still get to do work, but it won't be painful or boring, or painfully boring, uh, or frustrating as it is now but rather we essentially get to do our dream jobs and serve God and serve each other. Even though um, we get into heaven based on Christ's work, we're all rewarded according to good things we did in our past life. 
So I kind of think like, here's like a bonus check for you. You will not need to fear any violence or sickness or injuries or deterioration um, because there will be uh, no more death or mourning or crying. Uh, hopefully there'll still be like action movies though. I don't know if that like happened. If there's no violence, we still watch action movies. I don't know. Uh, if you're like a physical touch person, you know, it's your love language, there'll still be hugs. That's great. We have like huggable bodies. It's good. Everything you see will be physically beautiful, lacking any imperfection. Imagine um, like the best day at Disneyland ever. It's like how things are looking. Um, instead of um, kind of like imperfections we see now in our world. Uh, anxiety, fear, depression, jealousy, loneliness would be replaced with peace, courage, joy, humility, and unity. That's good news. There'll still be countries you can travel to and maybe the universe to explore. Art and science and culture will continue to develop in profound ways. Many of the things you didn't get to see or do in this life will be available to you in the next. Isn't that exciting? I feel like it takes a lot of pressure off the current life. I feel like I have to do and experience everything and like have all these jobs and, you know, accomplish all this stuff. It's like actually we get to still like do a lot of the fun things we don't get to do in this life and that's okay. And I think it helps focus what we do in this life, knowing what the next life will be like as well. And the best news is that all of our relationships will be perfect in love and unity. You're never going to feel lonely or left out or betrayed. You will feel overwhelmed constantly by the love from others. And the source of all that love and goodness is God himself. We're going to see him face to face. We get to walk and talk and hug Jesus. We can ask him questions like, what purpose do mosquitoes have in the food chain? And it should be really exciting to us. He is the source. Jonathan Edwards wrote a whole book called Heaven, or a whole sermon called Heaven, A World of Love. It's beautiful. It's like two hours of just him talking about all the different ways that heaven fills us with love that flows from God. Um, yeah, I'm not going to read the quote, but it's great. So uh, I want to address kind of a couple concerns. I think sometimes it can feel like, yeah, it sounds great, but like, Sounds fake, or what about my friends that don't believe? So I want to kind of address some of these concerns. Um, the first one is like, what about the people that I love that aren't going to be there? That's a legitimate concern that I think we all have. And uh, how are we going to be happy, you know, if they're like in hell and we're in heaven? And I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I think that I don't want to rule out that there is like a time for grieving like as a transition period into heaven. That would make a lot of sense to me. I mean, the Bible does say Jesus is going to like wipe away our tears. So like what if we are sad for a time, just in the same way that when we lose loved ones on earth, like it's sad for a time, it hurts, uh, we need to grieve it. And then over time, it's like stops hurting as much, you know. And so I, I can kind of imagine that. And over there's nothing new bad happening. So eventually we, we essentially end up perfectly happy. Um, and also, this is motivation for, like, telling people about Jesus as well, right, right now. Uh, the other one, um, I, I was kind of polling people this week about uh, questions about heaven. The other one is, like, what about my spouse? Am I going to, I did all this work in my marriage, 
And then like, they're just like my friend again. And I wasted all this time like putting up with this person. Just kidding. Um, no, but doing all these date nights and building this relationship. And that, that is like um, a loss, you know? It's okay to, to feel bummed about that. Um, but yeah, so sadly, no. Uh, we are not going to be married uh, in heaven or get married. Uh, marriage in the Bible serves uh, several purposes. One is like to fill the earth, right, to procreate. And we don't need to do that in heaven. There's already lots of people. Uh, the other is companionship and as a symbol of Christ's love for the church. Uh, but in the er- eternal state where there's no death um, or we already have companionship with Jesus, and so we're not going to as much need it from the spouse in that same way, that kind of, um, the type of unity that we can achieve uh, in marriage is maybe like the closest picture of what it's going to be like with Jesus. We're all going to have that with Jesus in heaven, so we're not going to like need marriage. Does that make sense? And that's not to say that you still can't be great friends with your spouse. Like, I love it if my family could still, like, hang out and play video games on Friday. Like, that would be awesome to me. So it's not like you lose your memory or you're strangers or you forget or anything like that. So I think we can all still have, like, special relationships with people we had in this life. And so uh, the other objection is that um, heaven can just feel, like, far off or very ethereal, unreal. Um, and especially for those of you who are more analytically minded, it can feel very theoretical. And I just want to point out that I think that there's both objective uh, and subjective evidence for heaven. And we see this when Jesus is talking or he's praying on the cross. He's like, he's looking back at the objective reality that God saved Israel from slavery and did all these miracles to like prove that He's powerful, that he loves his people. He's not going to abandon them. And I think that gives him faith. God can do the same with him, resurrecting him from the dead. He's also remembering that um, God is with him, right? He had all these built-up experiences throughout his life of God loving him, being close to him. And that's, uh, I think, another way that we can believe, like, heaven's like a real place. It's a real tangible reality that's coming. So it's like this historical and this experiential evidence. And uh, I think we can believe the same thing because, and actually, um, when you look back at the gospel, we look back at the resurrection, um, we can see like, oh man, Jesus, uh, he raised at least three of the people from the dead. So we can see that he did that. He raised himself from the dead. And there's so much evidence based on eyewitnesses that saw these things, so it makes a lot of sense. If Jesus could do that, he could also like raise us from the dead. So I think we can have like faith. That's like a real um, thing that's coming. Okay. And then also just the experiences of us with him in this life of um, getting to like read his word, see how amazing uh, Jesus is, getting to listen to him um, through prayer and praying and get to talk to him. Um, is also, I think, a way that we can have faith um, that he's going to resurrect us as well. So uh, I think kind of the other thing, too, I was thinking about is, like, what other good options do we have? Because I don't know any other great ways of coming back from the dead. And if you guys do, you can come share them with me later. Um, but I think forever, like, you know, people have been, ser- like, searching for, like, how do I not stay dead? How do I not die? 
And so far, uh, there's no other great options. So um, I think even if like you're like, oh, I don't know, heaven like seems like maybe 20% sure. It's like, well, why not put your eggs in that basket? If you don't have any other baskets, put your eggs in. So that's kind of like my, my pitch for heaven and for the gospel. Um, and I want to kind of close this out here by encouraging us to not, not just uh, believe it, not just to accept it, but also to share it. Because this is what we see uh, Jesus in the whole second half of the psalm. He's like, I want to tell everybody about this, he- this hope and that God saved me. And so he just couldn't contain himself. So at the end of the psalm, in the last, uh, or in Psalm verses 22 and 23, you can pull those up. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. And so he's just like pumped to tell everyone. He wants everyone to tell their kids and through generations to, for it to continue on. And this is just natural. We want to tell everybody about something great that we found, whether it's like an amazing restaurant um, or the best NBA player, or we want to argue about like, who's a good guy? Who's a bad guy? Is Elon Musk like a genius or is he a tyrant? You know, we want to like, everyone else needs to know that the way we feel about everything is correct. (laughs) And we're amazing evangelists about things like our favorite TV shows. Um, and likewise, shouldn't eternal life qualify as something worth sharing if it's the best news ever? I mean, even just uh, take, like, hell out of it. Because I think a lot of evangelists, their, their whole pitch is like, um, believe in Jesus or you're going to this awful place and it's like fire. Like, even take that out, of that out of that. Even if it's just like you die and you don't get to continue on. Even if it's just like, man, you could be in heaven with us and with Jesus. I think that's like enough to want to share the gospel. Um, I love this quote from this uh, magician. He's uh, an outspoken atheist who was given a Bible from a fan after one of his shows. And he essentially was like, I actually appreciate, I respect that you are trying to evangelize me because it shows that you're being consistent with your beliefs and that you care about me, which I thought was beautiful. And so he has this quote, and by the way, um, the word proselytize means to share your faith or evangelize. So he said this, he said, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you really have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming to hit you and that you didn't believe it and the truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. I feel like that was just such a convicting uh, quote for me personally. I just want to give you a second to think about, like, um, what is it for you that, like, um, makes it hard for you to like share your faith with other people. A lot of you are like great evangelists, by the way. I'm not saying that like none of you ever share your faith, but I think that we all have um, barriers up that we're like, don't do it. And um, I'd love for you guys to think for a sec about why.
And I think I was chatting with a few people this week about this and some of the different things people were saying is like, uh, maybe they don't know like what to say is a concern or they're too busy or they're afraid to. And um, I just want to encourage you, all of you guys, like in those different camps, like if you're not sure what to say, like that's okay. I love that the people in the early church, they are basically, their whole witness was just, we can't stop sharing what we've seen or heard. And so whatever you've seen or heard, um, either around the church or with Jesus that has been life-changing for you, just share that, you know? Like if you had an amazing experience one Sunday, like tell your coworkers, tell your friends, like what's been going on, like don't hide that part of you. And you don't have to have an answer for like every question about um, morality or the afterlife or whatever in order to share that. A lot of the like best evangelists we've ever had in the church are people who they just became Christians and then they're just telling their friends and family that they honestly are the most amazing. And they know the least, right? Uh, or maybe you're like, I'm busy. I'm doing like church stuff seven nights a week or eight nights a week, and I don't have time for this. Um, and I just encourage you, like, hey, slow down. It's okay to like say no to a church event occasionally. Uh, make some space for your coworkers. Um, Tyler and Mia like invited a bunch of their friends out to this uh, crazy meteor shower uh, last night, and and neighbors. And so also I just encourage you, like, just bring people along with, um, other th- with things you're doing, things with, with people um, from church are coming. Um, yeah, Sharon brought her, her roommate out yesterday to the social. She was so sweet. So I think make the most of those opportunities as well. And, yeah, as far as, like, um, being afraid that uh, sharing your faith might cost you something, like a relationship or social capital or maybe even your job in some situations, I wish I could say, like, that's silly, that never happens. You never get uh, persecuted for your faith. But that is honestly, like, a real possibility. It's less so in this country than, like, a lot of other places in the world, you know, to be, to be quite honest. A lot of places, Christians are still killed for being Christians. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not scary um, or costly for us here as well. That is, that is real. But um, I do want to encourage you that just to consider, like, Man, is the gain of a, fa- a friend or family member into God's kingdom, is it worth the risk? Is it worth the risk? And I think all of us would say, like, yeah, it definitely is. So I just got one more sad story, and then I'm done. Um, so I had a, I had a best friend uh, in middle school. Uh, his friend was, was Derek. And we used to stay up all night playing this video game called Twisted Metal 2. Anyone played this game? Yes. All right. So it's like this car game where you just drive around and like blow each other up with like missiles and stuff. It was our favorite thing. And it was on PlayStation. We didn't have any memory cards. So like you would beat it and get all this like amazing stuff. And then like the power cord turns off and you have to like start all over again. Like, you know, it's the worst. So thank God for advances in memory technology. Um, But we play this game. So also, there's a movie that's out right now about this game. It looks terrible. It has like <laughs> the Falcon guy from Avengers. Um, so anyway, I might go see it though, just uh, in honor of my friend. But anyway, we'd stay up all night uh, playing Twisted Metal, and um, I remember one night Derek he asked me because he'd been I've been invited to my my youth group. He's kind of like, how did I become a Christian? I'm like, oh. 
oh, I think you like pray this prayer, you know, it's so, like prayed the prayer or whatever. And he accepted Jesus. Um, and I remember like we were, we were only 12, but this like really stuck with him um, for the rest of his life. He like continued to follow Jesus. And he ended up going to a different high school. We didn't like see each other as much, um, which was, was sad, but we kept in contact um, until I was in college. Um, I got a call from my other friend that Derek had gotten killed in a car accident. And I just remember feeling like so shocked and so sad. Um, but at the same time, like remembering, oh God, I'm so glad that like I invited him and to, to know Jesus and that like I'm gonna get to see him again. Like that is like legit good news. Didn't take away the sadness or the grieving but it made it a, a lot easier um, to accept the news for me. And I think about that a lot, you know. So um, that's it. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Uh, Father, um, I'm grateful that you do give us this hope of heaven, that these things are, are difficult to talk about and think about, but I pray that you would... Um, you prepare us to suffer well, and that people seeing us in the way that we suffer uh, with you and that we have hope in our suffering, that they would, um, they would ask, like, what is this hope that you have that we wouldn't be afraid to share? Uh, I pray for, um, yeah, for us and for others that we would know you and believe in you and love you. Amen.